So it's really good to see everybody. Let's go ahead. We'll, <clears throat> we'll open in a word of prayer and thank God for all the blessings in our lives and, and get prepared to study His Word. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come together and study your truth together as your people. Um, you know each and every man and woman in this room. You know all of our struggles, our doubts, our fears, our shortcomings, uh, our hopes, our dreams. You know us inside and out. And what's amazing is you still love us. And we just pray that you will help us to recognize your grace at work in our lives, that you will help us to uh, continue to grow in our knowledge of who you are, that you will please continue to conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you will watch over us and give us a willingness and, and uh, an ability to share your love with other people. We thank you for the time that we have in your word, and we just pray now, Holy Spirit, that you will open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our lives to these truths. Help us to receive them, help us to believe them, and help us to walk in them. Thank you for the folks that were so kind to prepare us to lunch today. We pray you'll bless them and bless that food to our bodies. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're continuing in our study of the life of Christ um, through a harmony of the Gospels. And so we've jumped around from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John um, for, I guess, the last couple of months, really. We've, we've really been kind of focused in on the book of John. And last time we were together, we finished up John chapter 8. Remember, we finished up John chapter 8. And today we're going to get into John chapter 9, and we're going to see Jesus doing a miracle. We're going to see him healing a blind man. Now remember, as we talk about Jesus and we talk about his miracles, we need to understand that those miracles are a proof. They're a proof. What do I mean when I say that his miracles are a proof? Of who he is. They're a proof of who he is. So in John chapter 6, uh, in John chapter 6, Jesus, or I'm sorry, John chapter 5, Jesus said this, But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me, that the Father has sent me. The whole world lies in condemnation and wrath and judgment of God. Those who we and those who uh, believe in Him will never perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus <clears throat> was said that the works that He did are a proof of who He is. That He was proving that He was the one sent by His Father to do what he came to do. And we'll kind of get more into depth about what he came to do today. But remember, when we <clears throat> when we think of these miracles, we can remember that these miracles all have a physical aspect to them. Remember, we talked about him healing the paralyzed man. We talked about him, uh, several different miracles that Jesus has done in the past. But those miracles were miracles that, affected the physical nature of the person who he performed them on, right? What do I mean by that? So the paralyzed man could not walk. Remember his four friends had to bring him on the bed and bring him to Jesus? Right. And so, but he, God healed him, Jesus healed him, and he walked out of the building on his own two feet. And so there was a physical nature in the healing. But those physical uh, shortcomings, those physical Ill, illnesses, those physical uh, problems also point us to deeper spiritual problems, don't they? 
So what would it mean spiritually to say that a person cannot walk? What would that mean? To say that I cannot walk spiritually, not physically, but spiritually. You can't function. You can't do as what God Good. you to do. Good. One indication that we are truly children of God is when we walk with Him, right? right. Uh, what did you say? How can two uh, walk together unless they be agreed? And so to be able to walk means that I am able to walk with God. Right. What about um, deafness? What would be a spiritual, uh, what would physical deafness spiritually point to? Not to hear God's word. Right. Good. Not to be able to hear his word. Now, now remember, there are some people that are literally blind. Mm-hmm. that see Jesus better than me and you and we have eyes, right? So it's not saying that the physical and the spiritual illnesses are in any way related. A person can be blind and still see Jesus. Right. A person can see with their eyes as we're going to see today and not be able to see the things of God. But there is always a spiritual application to these things. Yes. Um, when Jesus healed these folks... He also said, go and sin no more. So wasn't he giving them the ability to have the faith sure. not to sin? No doubt. No doubt. So again, when we see this today, one of the things we're going to... So what would it mean if we're going to read a story about Jesus healing a blind man? What would spiritual blindness look like? Kind of like what we were going over last time before Ms. Lord, Lord got sick. Whenever he was, uh, Jesus was speaking to the Jews, and you know that they couldn't, they couldn't see or even hear, kind of like, kind of like that. Good. Last time it was spiritual deafness. Remember, he said, "You cannot hear my word. Right. Yeah. You're not even able to hear or understand what right. I'm saying because you're not mine." Right. So that was a deafness. Yeah. Well, this week we're going to see blindness which means they're not going to be able to see the things of God now are the the so, enemies so they won't, won't be able to see his miracles they're going to see physically see the miracles but they're, they're not going to be able, it because they're not seeing it in faith they're not seeing it in faith they're seeing it with their physical eyes right. but they're not seeing it with spiritual eyes but, why some people even call them doing it of the devil yep good so what you'll find is and and I we've used this lesson before in this class But remember, the world teaches you that seeing is believing. If you show me, I'll believe you. Right? Right? That's and that's really much how we live our lives. Yeah, they, they won't. If somebody does me dirty, I'm not going to trust them, right? right? Why? Because I've seen how they, they act, and they I'm not going to trust them anymore. They want evidence. Is what they want. We want proof. Yeah, that's why faith is blind. What? Well, no, faith is not blind. Your faith has to be in something that is true, or it's not true faith. Well, I mean, as far as you don't physically see God, you can. I think physically oh, so you can't see. You see his work. His work. When, when, when we're saying faith is blind, we believe him blindly. We don't need to see him because we have that faith. Right, but it's not blindness. It's not faith. It's not blind. My, in other words, your faith has to be in something. Every one of you right now in this room are sitting in a chair, and you have faith that that chair is going to hold you up. Now, you hadn't even thought about that until I said it. But you in your life have come into rooms and sat down in enough chairs that you don't even question it. See? 
Now, if your prankster friend had his hand on the back of that chair when you went to sit down, you may put your hand down on the chair before you sit right. down. Why? Because that chair may not it may, it may let you down. Right. But we don't practice blind faith. Okay. We we act on what we really believe. But if my faith is in something that's not true, then that would be a blind faith because I'm putting my trust in something that's not there. I see what you mean. Okay? Mm-hmm. So what we're going to see is in the Bible, we are taught the exact opposite of what the world teaches. The world teaches, show me and I will believe you when God says, believe me and I will show you. You see how that works? Uh It's the exact opposite. The world says, give me proof and I'll believe you. And God says, believe me and I'll give you proof. And so he shares his truth with us. And if we hear his truth, if we see his truth and believe his truth, then we are then able to walk in that truth. But there are people in this world who will not believe him. Who cannot believe him. That's what he said last week to them. You cannot believe me. Because you are not mine. And so what we're going to see today. Is we're going to see a contrast between someone who can't see him. And someone who can't see him. And not only that. The very ones that can't see him. Are convinced in themselves that they see the heaven fall. See how that works? The very ones that cannot see him are the ones that are most convinced that they see the best of all. Hmm. All right, so let's look together. We'll go ahead. Um, We're going to divide this uh, lecture up into three sections. First, we're going to see Jesus healing the blind man. Then we're going to see the controversy over the healed blind man. And then we will see that Jesus affirms his deity. Jesus is going to claim that he is God. So let's look at first at Jesus healing the blind man. So this is John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who had previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, This is he. Still others were saying, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? He answered, The man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So he went away and he washed and I, I went away and washed and I received sight. 
they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. All right, so let's go back down now and break that down. The first thing we see in verse 1 is that the man was born blind from birth. Right. All right, what does that mean, blind from birth? He was born blind. He was born blind. So what has he ever seen in his entire life? Nothing. Nothing. He's lived his whole life in the dark. Right. All right. Now, let's apply that spiritually. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right. Why does a person have to be born again? Because we were born with be sin. Washed in the blood of Good. We were born with sin, right. and that sin causes us to be blind right. to who? God. God. And so we live our whole lives walking around groping in the dark. Have you ever seen a blind person? We have a blind guy that comes to our grocery store every week, and we, we get one of our uh, uh, stalkers to go and walk around the store with him and help him. And every time he gets to uh, the cheese or the milk or whatever he needs, the stock guy have to pick it up and read it and say, this is 2% milk, you know, it's three ninety nine a bottle, et cetera, et cetera. Why is he doing that? Because the guy has no way to relate to what he's getting. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. right. He's blind. He can't yeah. see. And the truth of the matter is, is that if you're in this room today and you have been born again, that means you have trusted Christ, that he has regenerated your heart and given you new eyes, then you actually see in a way that the world can't see. And you have lots of friends and family and loved ones, maybe roommates, uh, wives, husbands, uh Boyfriends, girlfriends, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, etc., that are still in the dark. Right. And they're going to need your help to see. Right? But this guy was born blind from birth. He could not see. He had a physical blindness. Now, the disciples asked a question in verse 2. They said, Who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that sinned that caused him to be born blind? So, one of the ideas back in that day was. That if a baby did something bad while they were in their mama's tummy, that it would cause them to be born with birth defects. And how in the world can a baby do something before he's born? Well, he's born a sinner. He's born in the seed right. of Adam. Yeah. Babies yeah. dream, right? They could have a bad dream in their mind. But the disciples said, who is it that sinned? Who, who is it that sinned? This man or his parents? They also thought that if the parents... Did something, did something bad. bad that it would cause the baby right. to be born with birth defects. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is what causes birth defects? He was born a sinner anyway. Hmm? We're all born sinners. Everybody is. Right? Everybody that is born has sin in them, except one, and that was Jesus. And he was born from a virgin. And none of us were born of a virgin. Right. All right. So think about that. They're asking a question. They, the concept back then was somebody had to have done something wrong for God to punish this guy to be right. born without no eyes. Right. But the reality is how many of us are born blind in sin? Oh, Everyone. Gosh. So the answer is who sinned that caused this man to be born blind? Who would the answer be? Adam. 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 <laughs> Every one of us are born in blindness. Because Adam turned away from God, he brought a curse upon him and all of his seed, all of his children, all of mankind. Red and yellow, black and white. Every one of us are born blind. So the concept of it being your parents' fault is null and void. 
I, I can't tell you the number of people I know that have such struggle with drug addiction or alcoholism and say, well, it was my parents' fault because my dad drank and he beat me, etc., etc. Monkey see, monkey do is the way we live in this life. Right. And yes, the fact that your parents did drugs and alcohol may play an effect on you, but the reality is it was your choice to pick up that first right. ring. Mm-hmm. It, was your, it was your choice to do that first exactly. crime, whatever it was. You see how that works? So when you stand before God on the final day and are judged, it's not going to be based on what your parents did. It's going to be based on what you did. Okay. So that uh, sin, we need to recognize in that verse that sin does cause sickness and suffering. Right. Sin. I don't think any of us disagree with okay, that. Right, right, right. All right. Now, in verse three, we need to realize God uses our suffering to glorify His eternal will and purpose. God uses the sufferings of mankind to glorify Himself. Look what it says in verse three. Jesus answered, "It was not that this man sinned, nor that his parents did, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him." So what Jesus is saying is this man lived in spiritual darkness for 40 years so that one day Jesus can come and heal him in front of all of those people and God can get glory for it. That's what it means. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm? That's it. Mm -hmm. Right? That's what it says. And it's the same thing for you. If God healed you, if he saved you, it was for his purposes and for his glory, not yours. Right. And we can. And do you think this man is ever not going to be thankful for being able to see? Do you think he's ever going to take advantage of the fact that he can now see? Of course he's not. He he probably will. He probably yeah, will. we do. Right. Yeah, we take advantage when God heals us and gets us out of our problems. We have a tendency and to run right we back. We have now. a tendency to forget. Yeah, I love that. How many of y'all have seen that little um, video on the the uh, uh, social media where it's got the little lamb, the sheep stuck in the ditch? And the farmer comes over and pulls him out of the ditch, and he jumps out and starts running. And he, yeah, he jumps in, and after like three steps, he runs and jumps in the air and lands right back down in the he ditch. He was in again. such a hurry to get away. He just kept he just kept jumping in the ditch. Yeah, stuck. He pulled he, the farmer pulls him out of the ditch, and the and the the sheep gets out and makes three bounces, and on yeah. the third bounce, boom! And it he wasn't lands. easy pulling him out. He was pulling him out with a backhoe. Is that well, he, he grabbed it with his hand. But but the, po- the point was is that as soon as that farmer took all that effort to get him out of that hole in three jumps, he was right back in the hole again. And that would be us, but for the grace of God, wasn't it? Yeah. So, sometimes it is us. There are a couple of times over and then we finally Okay. So now we need to look at verse 4 because it said, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as his day. So it says we. Who is we? Jesus and his disciples. Jesus and the, his followers. That's we. We must work the works of him who sent me. Who sent him? The Father. As long as it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. So what he's saying is we, as his followers, as believers, have the opportunity to do the will of our Father who has sent us. God didn't save you just so that you could have a happy life and have all your bills paid and live healthy and wealthy all your days. God sent you to be a messenger to the, those that are still stumbling and blindness. You see how that works? And when we walk with him, we do what he's called us to do, which is to share his truth with others so that they can see as well. And so he said, the day it's now daytime. What does that mean? The light's shining. We have an opportunity. But there will come a day when there won't be any more day. What does that mean? That means... 
<clears throat> there's coming a day when the lights are going to be turned off. God's going to shut it down. Yeah, he's going to right. shut it down. So, his light is shining in this dark and dying world, is it not? Right. But there's going to come a day when this world is going to pass away. And all of those who remain in darkness will pass away with it in the darkness and in the destruction and the hell and the judgment. Then there will be no more darkness. It will be and a will new age. will we be gone by then? Huh? We'll be with the Lord by then? We will inherit the, the world that is all light. There is no darkness in it. The world that we're going to live in one day is not going to have any shadows. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? A shadow is darkness. There's not going to be any darkness. It's going to be all light. That's really amazing to think about. No shadow. Yeah, that's really amazing. Why? Because the shadow is darkness. Mm-hmm. And we're going to live in a world where everything is light. But Jesus, what is he doing? He's warning them there's a day coming when it's going to be completely dark and that the light won't shine anymore. There's going to come a day when they're not going to have the opportunity to see and believe. All right, and that should put an emphasis on our lives. And and so the and, darkness is the end of their opportunity to yeah. come to Christ. And yes. that's it. It's yep. over. Yep, that's exactly right. Pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? Very heavy. So in verse four, he said, uh, "We must work the works of Him who sent me. As long as day night is coming, when no one can work, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world." So, Jesus was sent from the Father to do His will. And what I want you to do really quickly is I want you to turn back a couple of pages to John 6, 38. Because we want to know what the will of the Father is. John 6, verses 38 through 40. You'll see that? John 6, verse 38 through 40. And this is what it says. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. So who has come down from heaven? Jesus. And what has he come to do? The will of him who sent me. You see that? John 638, Lori. 638. That 638 should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Oh, John 638. Yep. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So, what is the Father's will? The Father's will is all that Jesus has been sent to save will be saved. Right. That's his will. And Jesus has come to do that will. And how many is he going to lose? None. None. Not one. That's pretty heavy to think about it. <clears throat> so what is the Father's will? That Jesus come and do what he's sending to do. And what is that to do? To seek and to save his lost sheep. Uh, and, is, all of and is Jesus going to do his Father's will? Mm-hmm. Every bit of it. Not one of them is going to be lost. Really cool to think about. So what Very is Very cool to think so, about. I don't want to be lost. We see in these passages these comparisons between day and night, between eternal and temporary, between this world and God's kingdom, between the physical and the spiritual. You see how they, there, there's this, this constant uh, application in that? Mm-hmm. 
All right, so in verse 5, look what Jesus says. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now remember, in the book of John, there are seven I am statements by Jesus. Why is that so important? Because he is claiming in that I am statement that he is God. Right. Remember when Moses spoke, to, God spoke to Moses out of the bush? Mm-hmm. And Moses said, what is your name? Who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? I am, I am. I am that I am. Right. I am that I am. Yeah, right. He didn't say I was, because that would mean he's not anymore. Right. He didn't say I will be, because that means he's not here yet. He said I am. Past, present, and future. And so... By using this I am title, he's saying that he was the voice in the bush. Mm -hmm. By using this I am title, he is claiming that he is Yahweh, Jehovah, the The covenant previous God. Good. You see how that works? And this stirs up the nest. But I want to just quickly remind you of those I am statements in John. Number one, he said, I am the bread of life. Where are we now? I'm just going to bring them up to you. That, That was in John 6. I am the bread of life. So in the same way that we just ate lunch and had some bread on our sandwiches, the word of God. Well, you, that's because you're on a keto diet. I have bread right but, here in my heart. But you had you had food. I did. Yeah, that's bread is food or substance. All right. I, I was watching this video. It was uh, YHWH Yahweh, mm-hmm. and uh, they came to find out that the YH is you breathing in, and the WH is you breathing out. So. They're trying to say it's every time you take a breath, you're saying God's name. I'm not sure about that, but yeah, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was interesting. So, I am the bread of life. In the same way that we have to eat physical food to be uh, physically nourished, we have to feed on Christ to be uh, spiritually nourished. I am the bread of life. Second, he said, I am the light of the world. And that's the one we're seeing here. Another one, he says, I am the gate or the door of the sheepfold. I am the way that you have to come through to get to heaven. He also said, I am the good shepherd. Remember he said that? Now, remember, when he says, I am the good shepherd, what he's saying is, I am the shepherd that Psalms 23 is talking about. come find us when we were lost. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes Uh me lie. He's claiming that he is the one that his grandson David wrote about. I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Remember when uh, Lazarus died and Martha and Mary were all sad that their brother was dead? And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. All right. He also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. life. And he also says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches abiding me. Right. So all of these statements are statements of him saying who he is. Now in verse 6 it says this. When he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied clay to the man's eyes. Right. So he spit on the ground, made some clay out of the earth, and then wiped it in the guy's eyes. What should we think of when we think of clay? A potter. A potter, good. I'm the potter, you are the clay. That's what what God God did in Genesis when he made Adam. Very good. Right? What did God make Adam out of to begin with? From clay. Clay. So this is a reminder that he is the creator and that he can create things out of dirt. Right. Mm -hmm. Good job, Sammy. Very good. Yeah. And so, so what did he rub the clay on? 
his, his eyes, eyes so that he could. So what did he do? What is that symbolizing? He gave him what? New eyes. New eyes. New eyes, right. eyes to be able to see. But look what it says next. Verse 7. He said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. So Jesus rubbed the dirt in his eyes, and then he gave him a command. What did he say? Go and wash. Right? To me, that reminds me of believe and be baptized, right? Okay. Right? It, it, that's wash just what, your sins away right, is what I right. thought of. That, that's just what I think of when I think of go and wash. He said, believe and be baptized. That's what the Great Commission says. For for you, you poor Presbyterians in the room, y'all get baptized. I was baptized in a Baptist yeah. church. Yeah, but but Me too. you poor Presbyterians, y'all get baptized, then you believe later on. It's okay, y'all got a little. It's backwards. fine. But it's fine. They still got to throw some yeah. water on them. It's fine. <laughs> so so he went and washed his eyes, and when he came back, he was seeing. So did going and washing his eyes in the water give him sight? No. No. Who gave him sight? Jesus. Jesus. But his obedience to do what God said is one of that the first evidence is that he had really the done believe. The obedience that we give Jesus in, in, in the law, in his word, the obedience brings us the reward of salvation. Well, it does. Hold on now. The obedience does not bring us salvation. Right. It shows that we are saved. Yeah, well, yeah, it right. shows that we are saved. Right. In other words, so, so take, I mean, if, if we're not being obedient, there's consequences to that. You better believe it. Can I be a child of God, be saved, and be disobedient? Yes. Yes. But I will suffer for it. You get smacked. I right. <laughs> I still am accountable and responsible yes. to walk in his, walk with him, to walk in his covenant. Yes. Yeah, because he says, if you love me, you will keep my ways. If you love me, you'll keep my <laughs> commandments. That's exactly but he right. also mm-hmm. gives us the opportunity to be able to go and wash. Go and wash. Right. And to and to repent, and that's what repents all that because we're none of us are perfect. We're all gonna mess up here and you, there. You better believe it. But we can turn away from it. Now to repent, we have to turn in the opposite direction and leave that behind. Good. So. His going and washing did not give him sight, but they were a proof that he had it. And when he was obedient, what happened? His sight became more and more clear. Like as soon as Jesus, as soon as Jesus poured his power into that man's eyes, he was able to see. But the man had to go and wash in order for his that miracle to be evident in his life. See how that works? So the works that he did helped him to better understand the works that God had done in his life. The works that he did helped him to better understand what God was working in him. Because one of the things we see in this whole story is if God is working in you, it's going to come out of you. Yeah. It has to. It has to. And I'm good and wonderful. Okay, good. All right. Now, uh, Verse 8, look at verse 8. Therefore, the neighbors and those who saw him said, Is this not the one who used to sit and beg? What does it mean to say he used to sit and beg? Verse 8, verse 8. Is this not the one that used to... Verse 8. In John 9. 9. You're speaking in past tense. Yeah. He no longer has to beg, does he? Yeah. Because now he can see. Now he can go out and work. Good. All right. He says... uh, is this the one 
who used to sit and beg. Okay. So there's a couple of things that we see in that. One, we see that when God heals us, there are going to be evident changes in our lives. When God heals us, there will be changes and evidence in our life. Not only that, those evidences will be seen by others. Other people will recognize a change in you. And some will run the opposite direction. Yeah, they certainly will. So the question that you need to ask yourself is this. Do the people around me see a different person now that God has worked in my life? So they were saying to him, yeah, it says others were saying this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? So what's happening now? These people have seen this miracle and they want to know, where did this come from? Now remember, not everybody that's looking for miracles is looking for God. Right. Everybody is looking for proof. But... Those who are really seeking truth are looking for proofs of what is true. Those who are not looking for truth are looking for proof of what they believe. And is this an all-Jewish community? Yes. So, a lot of times when your unbelieving friends are asking you to give them proof of what you believe, they're not looking for it because they want truth. They're looking for it so that they can prove that you don't have it. Right. 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 You see? I ain't got time for all that, right? Yeah, I ain't got time for that. No. So, uh, Nobody the, got time for that. The next thing we see is when God changes us, and this is verse 9, when God changes us, we are willing to tell other people about it, about what he's done in our lives. Um, verse 10, how did God do this? How, or how did Jesus do this? And what was the man's answer in verse 11? The man whose name is Jesus is the one who healed me. Uh, in verse 12 God's working in our lives causes other people to see a change in us it also causes other people to seek him where is he? that's what they ask who healed you? what does the man say? Jesus and what do they say? where is he? we want to see this guy this guy who changed you where is he? So, now we go to the second section, the controversy over this man who has been healed. All right, it says this. Now, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was the Sabbath day on the day, it was the Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Remember what Jesus said? I, I want to just quickly interrupt you, uh, our reading. Remember what he said? I did not come to bring, bring peace. I come to bring a sword. He said, I'm going to divide mother and father. 
and uh, a brother and a mother and sister and father. There's going to be divisions in the family. Mm-hmm. There's going to be division. Why? Because truth divides. Mm-hmm. It always does. Truth divides. It separates light from darkness. It separates truth from lies. It separates good from evil. It separates death from life. Truth divides. And that's what Jesus was saying there. He says, uh, They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe it of him that he had been blind and who had received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Uh, Then how does he now see? His parents answered and said, We know that this is our son and he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? Uh, We do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus, him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this very reason, the parents said, he is of age, ask him. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God, we know that this man is a sinner. And he then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples, do you? And they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Bernie, are we going to continue this next week? Because I have a question as to I mean, it- We can. The man answered and said to him, Well, here's an amazing thing that you do not know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, there has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him and said, You were born entirely in sin, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. All right. So That's let's, the part. Okay. So let's go back well, and look over. Dirty. All right. Now what we're seeing is we're seeing a confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. And remember, we talked about this several times in the book of John. When John uses the term the Jews, he's talking about the enemies of Christ. Now, again, guys, I'm not saying that all Jews are enemies of Christ. But in the book of John, John uses the term the Jews as the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes who the were leaders. opposed to Jesus. Right. And it's very possible, well, I guess it is, that that blind man was the first known person thrown out of the synagogue because he chose to follow Christ. Could be. But, but think about that. We, we realize uh, that there are those who are opposed to the truth. And they were, every time that Jesus was around, there was a confrontation between them. No, the last, last time it was descendants of Abraham, and now it's disciples of Moses. Well, good. Well, because Abraham uh, is the father of Isaac and Jacob, and Abraham is the one that the promise came to. The promise right. that one day he would have a son that would save the world. Mm-hmm. But Moses was given to the children of Israel later. And Moses represents the law and the old covenant. 
the worship system, the temple, the right. sacrifices, the Ten Commandments, uh, all of those uh, things that we see in the Old Testament were the things given to the Jewish people by God so that they could be his people on the earth. And different from all others. But Good. So that they could be a light in the dark world. Isn't there still a promise in there of, of Jesus coming to save the, the human, to save his yes. people? So Moses? Good. So, remember, all of the Jews are Abraham's physical children. All of them. Mm-hmm. Even Peter, James, John, his disciples. Matthew, Mark. All of his disciples are, are sons of Abraham. But these guys said we are Moses' disciples. In other words, we obey all the laws. And so what the problem was is that these Jewish people that were opposing Jesus were using the very truth that God had given them not to magnify God, but to magnify but to magnify themselves. Mm-hmm. Magnify themselves. So God gave the children of Abraham Moses. And through Moses, what he gave them was a covenant or a way to be a light to the world. You live like this. You don't eat pork. You pray. You you go to the temple. You do these sacrifices. You do all of these things. And you will show the entire rest of the world that you are my people. And you will be completely different from them. And you will stand out. And not only that, if you walk in these rules of Moses that I give you, I will bless you and keep you and cause my face to shine. And they kept messing up. But instead of using those laws to allow God's light to shine through them, they tried to use those laws as a way to make the light shine on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See? And look down upon other people. And look people. down upon it. So they became self-willed, self-righteous, they were, they were, self-sufficient. They stayed in oppression. Right. So what were they claiming? We're a Moses disciples. All right. So, uh, it, and it goes to the very statement there in verse uh, 14 where it says it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made uh, uh, made the clay and opened his eyes. And then later on it says that, um, you know, they, they claim that there's no way that Jesus could be from God because he's doing these works on the Sabbath. Right. You're not supposed to do stuff on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. But remember what Jesus said, you know, if, if your ox falls in yeah. the ditch on the Sabbath day, you're not going to just leave him there until till Sunday to go get him out. You're going to get him out then. So when it comes to Sabbath day works, there's nothing in the world wrong with doing acts of, of mercy. So a police officer or an ambulance driver who is working on the Lord's day is not breaking the Sabbath. They're doing their job. Right. A nurse or a doctor. Performing the surgery on us. Right. Or now a you can debate. You, you can debate all day whether it's okay to be playing football on uh, Sunday. Or, that's fun though. That's not work. Yeah. No, that's work. That's physical work. So, in other words, uh, we're supposed to take one day of the week and rest. But healing a man's eyes was not a breaking of that rest. Mm-hmm. No. You see, it was helping somebody out. Mm-hmm. And not only that, Jesus was not glorifying himself through that work. He was glorifying his Father. Yeah. Right. And God was at work. God, and, and that's the reality is that God is never not at work. Right. So in Genesis, when it says that God rested on the seventh day, it's not like he said, I'm really tired now. 
what it meant was all of his work was complete. Mm -hmm. And so when you and I, as his children, rest on the Sabbath, what it means we're resting in the completed work of Christ. It's a spiritual rest that we're trusting in him. We're trusting what he has done. And we're not relying on what we do. Because there are a lot of people that go to church every Sunday and never miss a, a, a single meeting. But they drag their kids in, they're screaming and hollering and kicking the cat on the way, they're mad, they're angry, they're all uptight and tense. Because, and, you know, and the reality is, is that sometimes our work, sometimes the things that we are doing are not God at work in us, they're us working. It's, it's our efforts and not His. Right. Mm-hmm. And so one of the controversies that they're having here is that He has violated the Sabbath by doing this. And when they say we are Moses' disciples, they're leaning on Moses and saying, look, Moses told us not to work on the Sabbath day, and here you are working. So uh, we see the Pharisees are looking for answers in verse 16. They said, this man is not from God. But other people were saying, how can this man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Nobody had ever healed anybody blind. So what's happening here? We're seeing the division. And where does that division come in? It comes between those who are believers mm-hmm. and those who are not believers. Uh-huh. And one of the things you see here is the very people that are holding on to their beliefs in Moses are actually rejecting a belief in God. Right. Who is the one that gave Moses the law? God. God. And so if we really if they really were trusting in Moses, they would be trusting in God because Moses simply gave them what God told them to do. Right. The problem is is they're not trusting Moses or God, they're trusting in themselves. themselves. You see? And we can do that too. They took the pure law and just perverted it. Yeah, we, we can do the same thing. I can I can be a nominal Christian. What does that mean? The word nominal means name only. Name, nominal means name. So I can be a Christian in name, but not in heart and deed. And there are a lot of people in the world, and there have been times in my life when I was guilty of this, that I went around claiming that I was a Christian, but I was living like a child of Satan. You know, you're being at a club at 2 o'clock in the morning, and in the back of your mind convinced that you, you know, God's got your back when he don't. I know there was once, like when I was in high school, I can remember I had this... Um I was a science teacher. But anyway, for, for some reason why, it, he like brought religion up. You know what I'm saying? He was going around the room asking everybody, like, what denomination were they? And when it came it came my turn, and I was, I, it actually embarrassed me. I wish I'd never even answered the question. But anyway, I told him Pentecostal because I grew up that way. And uh, anyway, and I said, he's like, but you're in here wearing pants. <laughs> I was like, I mean, but it did it embarrass me because I got to thinking to myself, like, he's like literally asking people the religion because he's trying to, like he's, I mean, like almost like he's condemning people, you know, because they're not, you know, they're not following the religion, which we were just high school kids, you know. To see, like, they don't believe you can wear pants. The ones that I grew up with, anyway, were supposed to wear skirts. But I mean, it was like I wasn't necessarily the one going to church. It was my grandparents and my parents. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you were identifying with your parents, not with your personal walk with right. God. Right. Yeah. And that's the way a lot of Christians are. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a. Uh, well, this is what this is the church that me and my family. This is right. the way I go. Right. And so that 
what you're bringing out there is a perfect example of who these Jews are. This is our religion. This is how we live our lives. This is what we've always done. And the problem was, is that unlike your science teacher, your science teacher was trying to bring up your hypocrisy Mm -hmm. in order to disprove that there is a God. Jesus was bringing up the Jews' hypocrisy to prove to them that there is a God. There was a big difference there. He was exposed in their hypocrisy Mm -hmm. and it made them angry. Why did it make them angry? Because they, they were convinced in their minds that they were they were the the truth. Yeah. And the very Moses that they were clinging to was the one condemning. What they were holding on to was actually what was sinking their boat. Mm-hmm. Because there was only one man in that whole conversation that walked the walk that Moses commanded, and that was Jesus himself. And so remember in those times and we'll finish up with this thought and then next week we can continue the rest of the class. But remember this. So Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, oh, oh, you're really good. Uh, you, it, uh, Moses told you don't commit adultery. That's fine. But I'm telling you, if you even think about committing adultery in your heart, you're guilty of the act. So Jesus took the physical declaration, don't cheat on your wife, don't commit adultery, and said, it goes way deeper than you cheating on your wife. Mm-hmm. It goes to your thoughts and your emotions and your feelings. It goes to this, who you are on the inside. And if you're walking around thinking about having a relationship with somebody, you're just as guilty as if you took them to the hotel. And that drove them insane because all of their focus was on the external Mm -hmm. and Jesus was focusing on the internal. Why? Because the truth of the matter is this, guys. What you believe in your heart will come out in your life. It's going to come out. From the heart flows the issues of life. And you can run around with your mouth all day and say, I believe, I believe, I believe. But the truth of the matter is, your mouth and your hands and your feet are going to show the world what you really believe. Yeah. You see how that works? Mm-hmm. So that's a little something to think about. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Next week we'll finish up John 9. If you get a chance, pick up that passage this week and read a little more on it yourself. John, and do some chapter 9? John 9. And do, uh, meditate on, uh, on that yourself. Uh, we can thank God that he has given us new eyes. And pray that he will help us to see clearer every day, okay? Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this class. Thank you for uh, this heavy discussion. Um, please help us to be pure in heart. Help us to, to see the hypocrisy in our own lives, the areas in our lives where we fall short of your standard. And give us the willingness and, and the ability to turn from it and to trust and walk with you alone. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.